0: listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. It's exciting to see kids that you knew before they were born, um, and they're now graduating college, and hopefully they'll be dragging some guy up here and asking me to marry him at some point in time in the near future. I don't want to put any pressure on you, Brinley, but uh, <laughs> next steps are next steps. So um, anyway, uh, so good to see you here this morning. Before we uh, dive into Luke 18 again and, and then in Luke 19, and I know we've got our kids in here, so I'm going to... Try to be very aware of of the time there with that. Um, A lot of folks have asked me, and at staff meeting this week, you know, the uh, guys told me that a lot of people are asking me about me selling my house and where am I going and what am I doing and what does all of that mean. And for us, um, it's a financial decision as we look at uh, the economy and the direction it's going in, um, as we look at the community that we live in changing. Um, As I experience some frustration with trying to get in touch with uh, tax commissioners and county commissioners and environmental health, as I see warehouses going in all around me and understanding that it's completely changing the ecosystem and the community that I live in, Um, but also recognizing that I'm 63 years old and if The economy goes in the direction that all the prognosticators are saying that it's going. I probably won't have an opportunity to sell my house before um, I'm 69 or 70 years old, and you may want to run me off between now and then. And so I want to take advantage of the market uh, while I can. Um, So that's my motivation, Uh, in addition to me and my wife talking and just really feeling a peace about this is what God wants us to do. Um, there's something inside of us that's tell, telling us to do that at this time, and we are in agreement on that. Some people are saying, well, where are you going to go? And I've got to be honest with you and tell you that I don't know. Um, uh, I, when, when I say go, I mean, where am I going to live? I don't know where I'm going to live. Somebody said, well, that's kind of foolish. Who does that? And I said, well, maybe Abraham. <laughs> you know, um, when God tells you to pull up roots and go somewhere and doesn't tell you uh, where to go or, or what to do. Um, so we're just kind of walking by faith, uh, waiting for an appraisal to come back before I get too serious about completely dismantling everything and selling stuff or giving stuff away. If y'all need anything, want to drop by the house and say, I'd like to have that, please give us a call, Um, but I don't know. I'm just looking for where God would have us to live and hopefully waiting for prices to come down. Um, I'm also very aware of the fact that I am 63 years old, and I know that uh, every ministry and every lifespan has limitations. And so the last thing I want to do, and I'm not planning on leaving, I was in a group uh, this, this week in a staff meeting, and we were talking about these things, and one of the guys in the meeting, his, his eyes began to tear up, and he said, well, I just want you to know this is the greatest church I've ever been a part of. Um, and he, he said that based on being a part of a lot of churches and being on staff in churches. He said, this is the greatest church I've ever been a part of. That spoke to my heart. My eyes started tearing up. I'm not going to let them tear up this morning. Um, this is a great church. Y'all are a great church. God has done some great things, and I believe the the future is bright. I believe our hopes are great. Um, I look forward to what he's going to continue to do in the future. I look at the, the transition we had here. It was difficult sending a group to McDonough. Um, we had leadership leave here and go to McDonough and you, you noticed that we went through some, some bumps and twists and turns musically, but then folks said, Hey, I'm going to step up. Hey, I'm going to invest time. We had people here Friday morning, just, just pouring their time into making sure everything went well today. We've had guys that have had to learn a whole new system because we've got a new board in back here and they're here, uh, making the commitment to do all of those things so that things sounded, didn't things sound really good this morning? Um, did you hear any mistakes that Dave Johnson made back there on the drum? Because I didn't hear any. And if, if you know how difficult it is to learn a new instrument at 50 years old, um, and I think Dave's maybe 50 or um, late 30s or something like that. Um, and, but he said, you know what? There's a void there, and I want to fill in the gap. So many people have done that. Uh, this is a great church, and uh, I believe God's working through us, and he's going to continue to use us to take the gospel, not only to Locust Grove and not only to McDonough, Uh, but to other regions and areas. And we're thinking about that and praying about that and encourage you to pray about that with us. Um, But this is a great church. I don't have any intentions of leaving. um, So you pray for me. Now, if the Lord were to do something that I don't know anything about, I'm open to whatever he wants me to do. But right now, I'm telling you, my heart is here and my selling my house has nothing to do with any ulterior motive or plan to leave this church or to leave this area. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to ask me. Um, I'm, I'm open to those questions. Um, if the Lord lays a, a plot of land or uh, a 5,000-square-foot house with an Olympic-sized pool in the backyard on your heart, um, I'm always open uh, to that as well. So um, this morning as we um, just stop, uh, we know a lot's going on in the world. Um, we, we know that there, there, were, uh, uh, there was a, a school shooting that was, was massive, And the loss of life was massive. Um, We know that reports have come out from uh, an investigation into the Southern Baptist Convention. And we know that uh, the report there uh, is is terrible. It's tragic. Um, And then we stop as the church and run to the text of Scripture to try to make sense of it. And I, I want you to understand, as we look at this text this morning, we've got a lot of verses to read, and I'm going to try to uh, draw you into it and then give you what I think is here in this text this morning. Um, but in many cases, what it's about, it's about power. It's about a young man wanting to feel power, and, and that's why we take life. It's this sense of, with firearms, the power that somebody feels and the control that they feel, or even in a religious organization where uh, men are... are, are Uh, people are being abused and there's power and there's powerlessness and it's being hidden and people think that somehow they're the ones that determine what's right or what's wrong or what's true because of their positions of power in religious organizations. And there's all kind of power structures in religious organizations that I don't believe have anything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ or the word of God. We get away from the local church and what God's doing through his people in the local church and we create these structures that make men profoundly proud. Um, As we look at at Luke 18 this morning though, just uh, trying to give you the gist of the text before we look at it and then I share some things from it. I think there are some questions that are answered in the text that we can see this morning. First of all, um, what kind of kingdom is the kingdom of heaven? When we think of kingdoms and the kingdoms that we live in, we understand the kingdoms of this earth and we know how they work. But the problem is we take the kingdoms of this earth and the kings of this earth and the power structures of this earth and we try to translate that into the kingdom of heaven and I want to tell you that they are polar opposites. What kind of kingdom is the kingdom of heaven? It's not like the kingdoms of this earth. It's not at all. Secondly, who gets into the kingdom of heaven? Well, religious institutions and systems have created a standard that is unlike the word of God. But the text this morning is going to tell us who gets into the kingdom of heaven. And then thirdly, how is the kingdom of heaven different from the kingdoms of this earth? And the contrast in the text, again, point that out clearly. This text this morning and what Jesus has been talking about is about power and powerlessness. If we're honest, that goes to the core of who we are and how we live. We want power. We want power. You say, no, 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 not me. I don't want power. No, we all want power. We all need power. It is the desire to make things happen, to cause things to go our way, to have what we want, to get people to behave the way we want them to behave. At the core of all of those desires is power. As we read through the text, I hope that you see that this morning. We looked last week at Luke 18, verses 1 to 8, and we saw this powerful Judge and this weak woman. We moved secondly to the, the Pharisee who goes in with the power of his self righteousness. And we see in the same room and in the same setting this weak tax collector who can do nothing more than cry for mercy because he has nothing to offer. To God, we pick up now. Thirdly, as we look at at verse fifteen, and Jesus gives us this synopsis of what His kingdom is about, He gives us this description. But in the description, we also see this principle that He lays out about strength and weakness, about power and powerlessness. Let's let's look in verse fifteen. Now they were bringing even infants to him and literally the word there is infant when he says come into the kingdom like a child he's talking about a child that is under seven years old a helpless child a child that can't make decisions for itself a child that is essentially powerless a child that would die if someone else were not in control of its life now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them and when the disciples saw it they rebuked them But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. How did you get into the kingdom? Verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. So they're looking at these powerful adults. Probably in that culture looking at these powerful men because women and children didn't have much value And these people were were taking up Messiah's time and energy with these meaningless children and Jesus says hold on My kingdom is like these powerless children Then he moves to the story that we're familiar with that's in other Gospels of the rich young ruler again we see power and powerlessness. Let's read through it. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get into the kingdom? The text is trying to answer that question for us. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. He's probably much like the Pharisee that we looked at over beginning in verse number nine. He was a righteous man. He was a good man. He was a man who had performed well. He was a man who knew the rules and kept the rules well. They were extremely important to him. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Jesus went to the heart of Of his idolatry Jesus went to the thing that he really loved more than the kingdom that he really loved more than Messiah that he really loved more than God one thing you lack sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me there is one thing that you have in your life that you believe gives you power and significance and that is your money Jesus said, give that up and become powerless and come and be a part of a kingdom that doesn't operate on the power systems and structures of this world. It's a completely different kind of kingdom. You're not going to have any identity in this kingdom that matters to the world. You're going to be hanging around a bunch of people that don't matter to the world. Come into a different kingdom, a completely different system. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Now, we're going to look at a similar situation when we get over to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was willing to lay it all on the line, and Zacchaeus, in giving up everything, became very happy. But the rich young ruler, in wanting to hang on to everything because it was his source of power and control and his ability to determine outcomes, he is very sad, for he was extremely rich that's where his power was jesus seeing that he became sad said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of god for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of god those who heard it said then who can be saved who can get into the kingdom well here's what he said what is possible with men, what is impossible with men, is possible with God. In other words, men are not going to be like the self-righteous Pharisee. Men are not going to be like only the men that could go see Jesus, but not the children. Men are not going to be like this rich r- ruler uh, controlling outcomes and determining whether or not they or other people go to heaven. It is God who determines that, and it's not based on our power, but it's based on His power. But we're going to see some things about His power coming up later on. In the text Peter said to him see we have left our homes and followed you and he said to them truly I say to you there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children and people literally were doing that because Jesus said if anyone will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me lay down everything and follow me that's how you that's this this is a description of the kingdom for the sake of the kingdom of god verse 30 who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come eternal life and he's talking about relationships He's not talking about more houses. He's not talking about more land. He's not talking about more stuff. He's talking about you've left your family. You've left what really matters. You're going to get even more of that in the kingdom because there are going to be these relationships that make life worth living, and that really is the only thing that makes life worth living is relationships the stuff that you own is going to rust, it's going to rot, it's going to be destroyed. Some a tornado is going to blow it down, a hurricane's going to wash it away. The car is going to wear out. Something's going to go bad. It's going to end up in a junkyard someday. The only thing that really matters while we are alive is relationships and those redeemed relationships are the most important relationships that he, that we have. And he's saying in this kingdom there are going to be these people that you relate to. So we see power and powerlessness or power and weakness in the text. But, but this is astounding. Jesus in talking through all of this and giving these comparisons then comes to this description of himself as he warns them or tells them the third time about him going to die and taking the 12. He said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. I want you to see the weakness in this. I want you to see in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, All authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. But I want you to understand that the ministry of Jesus Christ, that the work of Jesus Christ is not based on his power, but it's based on his weakness. It's not based on, on, on him using the systems of this world. It's based on him dying and paying our sin debt. Notice notice what he says. Look at all that Jesus went through. Verse 32, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. That's a terrible thought. He will not be in control. The Gentiles will be in control of him. He will be powerless in, in one sense. And he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon nobody wants to be treated like that nobody would willfully choose to be treated like that but jesus did and after flogging him they will kill him and on the third day he will rise the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of weakness the king of heaven is a weak king as it relates to the Power structures of this world in leading his kingdom and building his kingdom he doesn't need the power structures of this world they are they're, on, they're polar opposites but They understood none of these things. Why didn't they understand these things? Why didn't they understand that the king is a weak king and that the kingdom is a weak kingdom, is a kingdom of weak people? Why didn't they understand this? Because all they could think about was a Messiah who was going to deliver them from their enemies, who was going to make them prominent, who was going to make them strong, who was going to make them noticed, who was going to make them important, who was going to make them rich, who was going to make them free, who were going to make them rulers of this world. That was Messiah. That's not Messiah. That's not the Christian life either. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. It's interesting that you have men who can see who are blind to the truth of the gospel and to the kingdom of heaven, but then you immediately transition into uh, another encounter of a man who is physically blind but understands who Jesus Christ is. Again, we see this text is just filled with contrast as Luke is writing to us. But it's also a picture of how we respond if we want to get into Christ's kingdom. You see the response of, of, of this blind man. I want to call him blind Bartimaeus. I think one of the other gospels points that out. The response of this blind man is similar to the response of the tax collector when he cries out for mercy. Those are the people that get into, into heaven. Not people that walk in and say, hey, I'm self-righteous. Not people that walk in and say that I've got all kind of earthly and political power. Not people who say that I'm a rich young ruler and I've kept the law. It's, it's people who, like this blind man, see themselves as blind And hopeless and helpless and as he drew near to Jericho a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging this is one of the most beautiful stories in all the Bible I love this blind guy and hearing a crowd going by he can't see anything there's a crowd Jesus is going to Jerusalem He's like what what's what's the noise I hear rustling I I, I feel I feel the dust kind of I smell dust I smell a bunch of people that you know, whose right guard probably left them. What's going on? There's a crowd here. Y'all didn't get the right guard probably left them thing. but Some of you don't even know what right guard is. But, or men in skin bracer. Or brill cream. Oh, the days. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what they meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth is passing by. And he, he started yelling. Here's a blind man that knows he has no hope except in Jesus Christ. He recognized that Jesus Christ was the Son of God with the power to heal. And so he starts yelling. He's just out of control. He's sitting there calm, probably hadn't had any breakfast, probably didn't have any money in his, in his, his beggar's cup, probably hadn't had anything to drink, probably been laying in the same spot for days. I'm not sure exactly what his situation was. But all of a sudden, he heard that Jesus is passing by, and he came to life, and he cried out, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Don't look like some weakling. Don't look like somebody who's desperate. What did he do? But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And by the way, that's his power over and against our powerlessness because there's nothing that we can do for ourselves to save ourselves. What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. It's interesting that that poor, needy people see Jesus a whole lot quicker and clearly than folks who are not blind and poor and needy. And then finally, the last 10 verses we'll look at this morning, we see again again, this contrast. We see the rich young ruler and his wealth, and he's sad, but we see uh, another guy, he's a tax collector, but he's also very wealthy, Zacchaeus. He entered, Jer- excuse me, verse verse yeah, verse 9 chapter 19 verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through and behold there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature, which was probably all the more reason he wanted to be powerful in every other area. Probably had little man syndrome. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree. He wasn't going to let anybody stop him. He wasn't going to submit himself to the control of anybody else. Climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully he responded to christ with great joy and when they saw it they all grumbled you go back to chapter 15 and verse number one and you can see that the problem of the pharisees was that they grumbled and what do they grumble about and they all grumbled he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner that is the pharisees they're more concerned about the sin around them than the sin within them and zacchaeus stood and said to the lord behold and here's zacchaeus in his repentance Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Here's one man that said, I'm not giving up anything. I'm going to leave sad. Here's one man that says, I'm going, to, I'm going to give up everything and I'm going to be joyful. And if I have defrauded anyone or anything, of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he, he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. He comes to seek and to save the people that know that they are lost. And we see that contrast throughout this book. What kind of kingdom is the kingdom of heaven? And what kind of people get into the kingdom? And how do the kingdoms of this world operate? And the kingdom of heaven operates on a completely different operating system. The first thing we saw in verses 1 to 30 was this. Jesus' response to the kingdoms of this world. Jesus' response to the kingdoms of this world. I want you to think about the power of the kingdom's of this world first of all we see in the judge political power or governmental power or positional power or social power this man knew that he had the power this woman knew that he had the power and he was the one who determined outcomes for other people's lives he didn't care anything about god he didn't care anything about people and he would just go exercise his power he was a judge I had a friend who was a a juvenile court judge in Atlanta for years, and I would go down and have lunch with him. And one day we were late getting back from lunch, and I said, you got to be back on the bench at 2 o'clock. He said, sometimes I just show up late to let them know who's in charge. That's power. That's power. And we understand that kind of power in the world system. There are people with power. There's political and governmental power. There is religious power. The power through self-righteousness to generate admiration and respect. Folks, we work hard at generating admiration. You say, no, no, I don't care anything about admiration. The power of our appearance is a desire for us to be. That's why we dress the way we dress. That's why we make up the way we make up. That's why we work out the way we work out. Because there is this power But we see in the text here, this religious power the power to generate admiration and respect and jealousy, the power to cover sin with the fig leaves of self-righteousness, the power of contempt and comparison, giving ourselves the opportunity to compare ourselves to others and always be better and always be right and always be on the right side, always having the right view, always having the right affiliation, always being a winner among losers. There is religious power in verses 9 to 14 and then there is institutional power social power the power of uh society where it is dominated by uh males and there's there's male leadership and i don't believe there's anything wrong with that but when it is to the abuse of others as lesser that's where the problem is and we see that when jesus is saying my kingdom is not a kingdom of these institutional people that are strong but it's a kingdom of the weak And then the power of respect, a ruler that generates respect immediately. We love to throw around titles. We love to introduce our important friends with their title because that is the power of respect. And that's the rich young ruler. He's got this this power of respect and the power of morality and the power of perfection and the power of self-righteousness and the power of money we see it here in the text that's what wealth gives us it gives us the power to do uh, uh, and have what we want the power to create pleasure and happiness and comfort and Ease and control, the power to control outcomes and relieve stress, the power to impress others and ourselves, the power to bless, the power to feel powerful, to have an isolated mini-kingdom that we can retreat to and not worry about anything else that's going on in the world. Those are the, the power that, that, that's the power of the kingdoms of this world laid out for us clearly, clearly, clearly in the text. There is this power. But the, the, the second thing we see in those 30 verses is the powerlessness of the kingdom of heaven. The powerlessness of an invisible, unrepresented, unheard woman who is left with nothing but a voice to plead and to cry. And it's also all that she's left with is the powerlessness of prayer. Prayer is an admission of powerlessness and we cry out to God who has the power. We also not only see an invisible woman, but we see a wicked, hopelessly sinful, despicable, unworthy, filthy, dirty, ashamed tax collector with, with, with nothing to bring, with no self-commendation, with no impressive pedigree, with no accomplishments, with no earned favor, just a gut-wrenching plea for mercy. That is powerlessness. We see a child... And you can go no lower than a child from a judge to a self-righteous Pharisee to a child, one who cannot survive on its own. And then we see this in the text, the call, the plea to surrender and abandon yourself for the kingdom but the rich young ruler doesn't do it jesus is offering him a completely alternative way to approach life not from the perspective of your power and what you can do but give it all up abandon yourself surrender everything and you will experience the kingdom and finally we see in the powerlessness of the kingdom the best thing that jesus can offer us is relationships which is ultimately what we really need so we see Jesus' response to the kingdom of this world and we see these, these two sets of kingdoms that are on polar opposites that are operating out of completely different energy. But the second thing that we see is Jesus reveals the heart of his kingdom and he gives us that in verses 31-31. To 34 and what we see in Jesus revelation is a counterintuitive upside down king in an upside down kingdom the way Jesus approaches being a king in his kingdom is complete opposite it is upside down it is counterintuitive the disciples didn't see it because it didn't register in their minds that God would send a son that would operate in the way that Jesus is describing that he is going to operate to establish his kingdom and through the power of his powerlessness and his death he is going to defeat the thing that has the greatest power over you and me which is sin and death that's exactly what he's going to do but he does it through his powerlessness not by grabbing the world by the throat or grabbing the kings of this world by their throat but by laying down his life and dying and that is again counterintuitive it is upside down it is a weak king who through his weakness overcomes the very thing that has the greatest power over us and that's what we see in Philippians 2 He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We see in Isaiah chapter 53 this this, uh, detailed description of all that Jesus went through. And there is nothing that you can say about it except that man is weak. He's weak. Beginning in verse 3, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord didn't lay... The price or the payment of our iniquity on us. He laid it on him. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. That's weakness. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. That's weakness to this world. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has been put to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his land. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. That's Jesus. That's how he leads as a great king. And he leads out of weakness, get this, so that he can put on display the greatest power that there is, and it is the power of love. It is when we are operating out of our weakness that his spirit empowers us and flows through us, and the power of love comes through. Just a a quick human example illustration of that is found, quite frankly, in Ephesians 5. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands. Now, don't throw don't throw anything at me, because that just touched something in almost every woman here. That's like, I, bro, you, I don't know what you're reading, but that has got mold and dust, and that is out of date. It is, hey, it is 2022, bro. What is that? That's me relinquishing my power. That's me relinquishing my power. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is not a kingdom where folks are running around flexing their muscles and saying, I got to have power and I got to have control and you're going to do what I say and I'm going to get my way by God. That's why I married you so you would give me what I want. That's not the kingdom of heaven. It's a kingdom where people are laying down their power. That's his kingdom. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did he do? Right here. It's right here. He just laid down his power. So marriage is not this power struggle, but marriage is this place where people are loving one another and giving up their power. And the only way that we can truly love one another is when we do lay down the power systems of this world and become powerless so that true power can flow through us. Greater love hath no man than this, right? Right? But God demonstrated His love toward us in it while we were yet sinners. So, we're operating in a different kingdom out of a different power. And then thirdly, how should we respond to the kingdom of heaven? And we see that in the story of the blind man and the story of, not the story, the, the narrative of the blind man and uh, the narrative. And, and just let me g- give you what I, I get out of, out of those uh, few verses there. First of all, how should we respond to the kingdom of heaven? Number one, we must realize that we have been blinded by the kingdoms of this world. We must realize that we have been. Folks, we are not here. Listen to me. We are not here this morning to integrate, to integrate the kingdom of heaven and the kingdoms of this world. We have been blinded by the kingdoms of this world. Secondly, we need to recognize the counterintuitive nature of Christ's kingdom. It will not feel right to our flesh, to our nature, to our human math, to our rational connecting of. The dots, the kingdom of Christ, this kingdom of powerlessness and weakness, this kingdom of love has no intention of coming alongside of you as you try to amass and corral and operate out of the kingdom and power of this world. He has no intention of synthesizing those two kingdoms. In fact, what we clearly see in the contrast of the text is this, that you've got to get out of those kingdoms and you've got to come to an alternative kingdom so that you can have the energy to live in a way that brings glory to him. And that's what we see in the text this morning. Thirdly, not only should, should we realize that we're blinded, but we also recognize the counterintuitive nature of Christ's kingdom. But, but thirdly, we need to desire something different. And we all do. We all do. There's there is a longing for something different because this world has just hollowed us out and eaten us up and worn us out, and we have this. this and here's Bartimaeus. He's like, man, I want something different. I want what Jesus has. And so we see him in his desperation crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And this morning as we recognize that we're blinded by the kingdoms of the world, that the kingdom of heaven is a counterintuitive kingdom, I would encourage you this morning to cry out in your soul, Oh dear God, this world has done nothing to satisfy these longings. Only you can satisfy these longings. Would you please open my eyes? Would you please have mercy on me? And then finally, repentance and full surrender. We see that with Zacchaeus, the great exchange, exchanging all that we are for all that he is. And then finally, I close with this. The kingdom of heaven on earth is a kingdom of weakness, not power. I love Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, and um, it, it's probably, I keep saying all these verses are my, they're all my favorite, okay? It's the Bible. Sorry. Um, I'm, I'm not lying. I just love all of it. Listen to Isaiah sixty-six, one and two. It says, "This, thus says the Lord: Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool." That's that's big. That's huge. God's sitting in heaven, and we're down here on earth. We're like, man, this is huge. Look at the Grand Canyon. Look at look at these. Look at the Rocky Mountains. And God's like, that's where I'm resting my feet. He's huge. He's massive. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? People are building temples. They're putting steeples on buildings saying, God's over there in that place. And God's like, I'm not fitting in that building. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. You can build the most elaborate temple that you want to and you can overlay it with gold, but I'm much bigger than that. And by the way, God is saying, I am not impressed with anything that you are doing that reeks of the world's system. Verse two, and all these things, my hand is made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's weakness. That's powerlessness. That impresses God. You say, well, that's the Old Testament. What about um, the New Testament? Have, have, you read, uh, have you read the Sermon on the Mount lately? Have you looked at Matthew chapter 5 lately? Have you looked at Matthew chapter 5 lately? Have you, have you read in Matthew chapter 5 about, about uh, somebody come along asking you to do this, asking you to go one mile, you go a second mile? Somebody, somebody taking your cloak and you giving them your tunic? Somebody, uh, somebody slapping you on one cheek and you're turning the other cheek? That's weakness. But then uh, I love 2 Corinthians, and I'm, I'm going to read a couple of passages here, and, and uh, I have to do it. I have to do it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're talking about the kingdoms of this world that operate on their power and the kingdom of heaven that operates on weakness. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we, not, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God in our comfort for we do not want you to be unaware brothers of the affliction we experienced in asia for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself as a christian yes Indeed, we felt that we received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In other words, that was not to make us rely on our own power and to start scrambling to see how we could take control, but to rest in what Christ has done. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us on Him. We have set our hope that He will deliver us again. So it's it's not, it's not... of earthly power is this weakness that gives us the privilege of experiencing heaven's power in heaven's kingdom. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways like the world. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement to the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And by the way, if your eyes are not blinded, and if you have seen Christ and you have believed the gospel, I would challenge you this morning to turn to Christ and away from the world. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. As Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to which has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it, for it is all for your sake, so that as the grace extends more and, to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal what is he saying and i could read on but i'm going to stop the kingdom of heaven on earth is a kingdom of weakness not power and if you want to see god show up come live in that kingdom Come live in that weakness. Come live in that kingdom. And come live in that weakness. And when you do, it'll transform how you relate, not only to each other in the body of Christ. It'll transform how you relate to people out in the community. It'll transform how you relate to your wife. And the power of love out of our weakness for him and for each other and for those around us will begin to flow through. When we become settled in the core of our being to operating in and out of a different kingdom, I would challenge you this morning to humble yourself beneath the mighty hand of God. I would challenge you this morning to submit yourself to come into his kingdom like a child. I would challenge you this morning to turn loose of all those things that you think give you power on this earth, whether it's your religion or your riches. Whatever it is, turn loose of it this morning and be weak and be powerless so that his power will fill you and the power of his love will flow through you. If you don't know Christ, I invite you to come this morning into this kingdom of weakness that you might know in its fullness the power of God.